so much happening. Maybe not at the federal level, but at the local level, we actually passed a lot of laws. I understand maybe Congress and the senator impotent. Yet, locally, uh, no, that's true. They can't get anything done. They can't make any decisions. But um, in the Twin Cities and certainly in the state of Minnesota, a lot of things did change. There are tons of new laws that are going into effect today. Joining us now is Tori Vanute uh, from Axios. But first, Tori, Happy New Year. We're still allowed to say it on January 2nd. And uh, did you have a great New Year? Happy New Year. Um, I did. I went to sleep before midnight, though. Yeah. 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 I would have, too. I was just so tired from all the travel and stuff. But, uh, But it was nice. It was nice to wake up refreshed, start the day, drink my water, go to yoga. I got this. Mm-hmm. See, you've started off the new year properly and in a positive way. So good for you. And I was in bed. Thank we you. watched the ball drop at 11. Um, well, oh, nice. 11 here, but yeah. in New York, we watched the whatever New Year's Rock and Eve or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and Mark and I were in the bed watching the ball drop. <laughs> yeah. Well, my sister said Boston does uh, fireworks at 7 p.m., which is like great. We should we should adopt that. But yeah. uh, amen. But yeah. New Year's somewhere uh-huh. at that point. Yeah. Right. Okay. We we can be absolutely done. Okay, Tori. Biggest stories okay. uh, coming up for twenty twenty four. What are you keeping your eye on? Uh, what aren't we keeping our, our eye on? I mean, from a politics standpoint, the big story is it's a presidential election year, right? Um, Minnesota ten electoral college votes. Uh, president, if president, former President Trump is the nominee, he did do well in this state, did not win, but did well in uh, 2016. Uh, President Biden, of course, won by a wider margin in 2024. So, or 2020, excuse me, this is 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see how that shapes up. But the biggest, you know, electoral story here on the election side is probably going to be control of the state house. Yeah. And that, you know, the state house, uh, not the state Senate, but the state house is up for election, all the members there. And just a handful of, you know, legislative districts changing hands between Democrats and Republicans could flip control of that chamber and end the trifecta. So that'll be the big, big political yep. battle of the year. We may have a, com- a competitive congressional seat uh, down in the South Metro in the second congressional district. U.S. Rep. Angie Craig uh, has a couple of potential Republican challengers. That will be the most competitive congressional seat. But we will be watching those state house races and it'll really be kind of a referendum on how voters view what Democrats did with their first two years of full control. Yeah, I mean, they spent, you know, $17 billion surplus, and many argue, well, they, they spent all that, and, you know, they had, the, they had the list of what they wanted to do, and they made good on that list. And you're right, it's going to be directly a result of how voters think that they were represented in those decisions that Democrats made. Mm-hmm. And the debate will really be, you know, how both sides say that the last legislative trans- session kind of transformed Minnesota. Democrats say for the better. They say kids have free lunch at school, a new law taking effect just this week. All, per- virtually all Minnesota workers, most workers will get paid sick days now to care for themselves or family. You got legal marijuana, the red flag law, gun, gun law takes effect today. So Democrats are banking on the changes they made and the spending they they did, they approved, changing people's life for the better and people wanting it more. Republicans say, no, we should have done tax cuts. Uh, some of these laws are not, they believe some of these laws are not going to change Minnesota for the better. And as you and I talked about last week a little, Adam, like the, the 
execution and implementation of these laws and how it goes is really going to have a big effect on where voters land on that question. Of course, there's other macro trends that, you know, state lawmakers and leaders won't be able to control things like the economy, how that's doing things like interest and energy for the presidential election and turnout from the top of the ticket down, you know, those types of issues will also have an effect. Um, But you're going to hear a lot about what the legislature did and didn't do in the months ahead. Talk a little bit about the surplus. How much of the money that the reforms that you're talking about, i.e. school lunches, how much of that came out of the surplus? What's left of it and what should Minnesota's Minnesotans be thinking about? Also, if that was a one-time fee for the schools, how you know, like for school lunches, for example, how is that going to be sustainable in the future, or uh, is it part of the law that now this money is budgeted every year for an example of free school lunches? Yeah, school lunches is budgeted for every year, and something like paid family leave is an example of where some money was set aside to kind of jumpstart the implementation because the paid family leave for like, if you have a baby or a long-term medical problem, that is ultimately going to be funded by a payroll tax. Uh, But you you know, you need money to to get all the hiring and the system up and started. But school lunches is actually an example of something that's ongoing spending. Schools will be reimbursed for the meals, the breakfast and meals they provide to kids, regardless of income. And that's one that's cost more than anticipated. So uh, for a couple, one is the cost of food and the other is higher than expected interest, state officials say. So more students than they thought are taking advantage of these free meals. Democrats say that's a great thing. Kids aren't going hungry. Republicans say, why are we um, providing free, why are taxpayers paying for meals for families that probably could otherwise afford it? So that's an interesting example of one that, you know, is costing more, has a direct impact on a lot of people's Mm -hmm. lives. Uh, on the surpluses, you know, we talked about uh, the the budget forecast last month. You know, we, we now have a surplus of about two point four billion dollars, uh, which is you know a lot smaller than seventeen billion dollars. Um, so there is still a surplus. There's still some money Democrats could spend or play with, but state budget officials have warned that Jordana, that question of ongoing spending, cost rising, and education and health and human services will risk uh, a deficit if the surplus is spent down. So, you know, lawmakers have been urged to, uh, by state budget officials, to exercise caution in terms of any additional spending, ongoing spending that they approve this year. Uh, Governor Walls kind of reflected that this morning in an interview elsewhere on NPR News, where he said, you know, his big focus is going to be a bonding bill, which is that, you know, the approving of borrowing for public construction projects. Um, and other kind of policy changes. So it's not a budget year. They don't have to do a whole budget this year. Uh, there could be some spending, but, you know, the pocketbook's a little tighter. The budget's a little tighter for lawmakers as they return this year. We're talking to Tory Vanden. they want to approve new taxes. Tory yeah. Vanden from Axios. Uh, another thing we're going to be watching that we talk about quite a bit uh, on this show, and that's uh, policing in, in Minneapolis mm-hmm. under the consent decree and how we might see um, changes uh, with the police department, I know one thing that I think many people want to see is more officers hired uh, by Minneapolis and whether or not that happens. Talked to the mayor last week about that, about uh, his struggles in, the, in that effort. What else uh, on the radar when it comes to policing in Minneapolis are we looking at? Yeah, well, we had a story just before the break on the Minneapolis, the union talks and how, you know, it looks like they may go to mediation, the efforts between the police union and the city 
to strike a contract deal. Of course, that's, you know, the hope by many was that this would be a transparent, open process, but that's, so you probably talked to the mayor. I, I missed that interview, but you probably talked to him about uh, the proposals for more money for bonuses, for hiring and retention. You know, the city council did reject that. So that's going to be a top issue in the year ahead. You know, how to, uh, you know, h- how to bring more officers as needed uh, back to Minneapolis Police Department because there still is a big shortage. And then on the police reform standpoint, you know, this is going to be, as we wrote this morning, a big year for the consent decrees. Those state and the upcoming federal agreements that are going to force like court enforced changes with oversight to Minneapolis Police Department that is supposed to address a history of um, racially discriminatory policing. And so, you know, the city is at work now to hire an independent mon- monitor, an outside person and firm to oversee those changes and make sure they actually happen. And so this is going to be a really big year ahead for that element of policing as well. So I want to ask you about something Adam and I are going to talk about a little later in the show and and get our listeners um, Mm. input on this. But some local governments want to scale back opportunities for public comments. And they have already. In meetings, yeah, Yeah, like in school board meetings or council meetings. They want to scale this back because uh, often, I mean, look, we've seen the YouTube videos and the social media videos of of uh, random citizens getting up and uh, making a comment about something the the school board is not even talking about or just getting a public forum because these are broadcast and, you know, people are at the meeting. What do you think about scaling back public comments from regular citizens at some of these public meetings? I mean, I think that most open government, kind of transparency open government proponents would say that uh, public comment is really important part of the democratic process and access to meetings, you know, public access to meetings, making sure that even if comment, even if open air comment uh, sessions have to be limited because of time, because of uh, whatever, um, uh, you know, safety concerns, whatever, that like meetings are open to the public so people can watch and have eyes on their government and know what they're, know what they're doing. Um, I also know that, I've seen some of those videos that you're referencing, that there are sometimes legitimate security concerns and concerns about things getting really heated. And so I think this is going to be an interesting uh, issue to see how cities navigate it in the year ahead and what kind of other um, accommodations or options there may be to make sure that you can continue to have open and, and robust public comment without, um, you know, creating potentially unsafe situations. Yeah, I, I agree. And mm-hmm. I think that you know, any kind of, li- you know, this is a moment in time where we'll get into this later, but a moment in mm-hmm. time where, you know, obviously we're seeing a lot of that stuff, but to restrict those comments, I think does a disservice to a, a lot of people who mean well and the citizens who have a right to be heard in front of the, their elected body. Yeah, there's a lot of lunatics out there, which again, yeah. that's a debate we will have right. later in the show. And sometimes there's not another way. Like I remember going to a, a meeting in Dakota County on a proposed um, uh, a homeless shelter yep. and it was a midday meeting and it was packed. And yep. there were a lot of people with, on both sides of the issue who had a lot of strong feelings and observations they wanted to share about the location. It wasn't a meeting that was even live streamed. And so, and it kind of came up in some people's 
they were trying to get a grant application mm-hmm. essentially and by a deadline. So there wasn't a lot of time. So if you, unless you had time to send an email and get that off and make sure you want to make sure your elected official had time to read that email, you don't even know. The only option you had was to show up in the middle of the day and it was an overflow only crowd. So, wow. um, you know, got to figure out ways for the public to be able to interact with the public officials who are elected to represent them. Last thing, uh, we spent the first hour, half hour of the show uh, coming up with words or phrases that we'd like to see uh, jettisoned uh, from our vocabulary uh, in the new year. Words that or phrases that we're just sick of. Jettisoned, good word. Thank you. Uh, so anything, uh, putting you on the spot here, but anything come to mind as a word or a phrase that you think is overused and that we uh, need not use it anymore? Well, actually, I am trying to say actually less in the, t- ah, in the new year. yeah. <laughs> Because it's often unnecessary. I mean, we cut a lot of words at Axios. We're all about smart brevity, so we're all about cutting words right. and using them carefully. But I do find that actually not only is often unnecessary, but sometimes then it comes, even if you don't mean it that way, it comes off as being a little bit of a know-it-all. Condescending, so, yeah. I'm, right. I'm trying to say that a little less. That's one of my personal word resolutions for the year ahead. She just and you can used, keep me accountable. She just used the term smart brevity. That's a good one, Tori. I don't know if that's like an Axios, you know, messaging term, but smart brevity. Any reporter or anyone who writes news would have to know about mm-hmm. that smart. Bre- and also, if you're writing me a long email, certainly a group email, keep it smart brevity. Smart brevity. Mm-hmm. It's more effective, Jordana. And actually, our actually, I just did it. Actually, 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 you idiot, Jordana. Every time. No, our, I was going to say our founders um, have a book called Smart Brevity that helps teach the art of smart brevity for personal and business communications. Well, you know, it's, it's good very training. good. And it's very smart. <laughs> and it's very, very, very smart. And it's very short. Tori, <laughs> it's br- br- before we let you go, a quick question, because the texter brought this up. Hmm. Uh, and when we okay. talk about local legislature. Any more momentum this year for uh, sports betting, do you think? That's going to be a tricky one. I haven't heard of a lot of change since last session. It's We will talk about this as the session picks up. There is still a stalemate between the tribes and the tracks over who should get the licenses yeah. and or a piece of the pie of the revenue. And I haven't seen any movement to change that. It doesn't mean it won't happen, but it requires a bipartisan uh, coalition to pass sports betting because there are some Democrats who are against it on principal reasons. And so we are watching that closely. But I have not heard of any movement that would suggest a deal early in the session this year. One of those topics we'll be covering in the weeks ahead. Thank you, Tori. Have a great day, and we'll uh, talk to you next Tuesday. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Actually, there she goes. There's- Tori Van Ood from Axios.